Welcome to Eco Living, a podcast about ways to reduce your impact on the earth, from cutting your greenhouse gas emissions to minimizing land and water use. I'm Adam Weiss. Eco Living is a co-production of Narara Eco Village and the Narara Eco Living Network, and is based at our demonstration Eco Village outside of Sydney, Australia. This episode is about giving an older home a sustainable makeover, and it's not just any home we'll be talking about, it's Bellbird House, a heritage-listed home and B&B here at Narara Eco Village that's over 100 years old. I've got Mark O'Brien here to share what it takes to bring a classic Australian home into the 21st century without risking its original charm. Hi, Mark. Hi, Adam. So you and your wife, Nikki, own Bellbird House now, but it's had quite a history. Before we get into the rejuvenation, can you talk about its first 100 years of life? Yes, well, it was born in, it was built even, in 1915. It used to be the manager's cottage when it was an agricultural research and development centre. It's had lots of different generations or iterations. It used to be a, a boarding home or dormitory for boys learning to mill timber from the nearby forest. And it's really been the, the manager's cottage after that when it was a viticulture development site and a research centre until it was sold by the state government in about 2008. And how long have you actually lived in the home? We've lived there two and a half years. And what's kind of cool is that we've got pictures of various managers going way back. We've got all sorts of pictures of managers and their staff because they were domestic staff back in about 1929 and a little bit later. And you can see that the house is virtually unchanged, even though it's now 100 and 107 years old. So with all that history, you weren't doing just a normal green renovation. But what you did is something that is of interest to lots of people who have older houses that want to update them. How do you approach a project like this, either from the heritage home perspective or just straight up, you want to make your old home more comfortable to live in? We definitely wanted to make it more comfortable to live in. So it's a it's got a, a metal roof with a wraparound veranda, like beautiful, traditional kind of Queenslander designs. But what that means is uh, in summer, it's outrageously hot. And in winter, and they're pretty cold winters here, it's extremely cold. So the first thing that anyone would really want to do is to try and improve insulation to make it much more livable through both of the seasons. And what we found is that there are a few larger items that you you definitely do want to do, but really a lot of much smaller common sense, quite cosmetic changes can make enormous differences to, to livability. Obviously, insulation is a big one. I know that, you know, air leakage and other things are are big. So what were the big benefit things that you found you could do in the house? And then what were some of the small things? Well, I think you want to start with what I would call the low-hanging fruit, where you get a lot of bang for your buck or a lot of of return for the effort. So the big one is just to make sure you've got insulation in the roof. That makes probably the biggest single difference to what you can do. Then we insulated underneath the floor because we've just got wooden floorboards and it's a raised house, so it looks lovely, but (laughs) it's pretty drafty in the winter. And then we have um, plasterboard walls, well, they were fibro walls, uh, which were hollow. So the other big thing that we did, which is actually not that expensive, even though it's quite a large house, is we insulated the walls. You actually pump in little polystyrene granules in between all of the studs and, and the dados, and it's made the most incredible difference in, in the summer particularly. 
we can talk more about the actual renovation, but what about that difference? Since doing these changes, how has it changed in terms of comfort, in terms of energy bills, those kind of things? I don't really have a read on energy bills before because we did the work before we moved in. But certainly in the old days, on 35, 40 degree days, it was sweltering by midday, and I do know that. Now it stays pretty livable and cool right up to about 5 or 6 p.m., in the evening and in the winter uh, being an older style house it's very easy to separate different rooms uh, so there's not a lot of big kind of open plan living which is one of the big problems with so many modern homes and it definitely keeps the heat in the smaller rooms uh, if we if we have a heater on and i guess one of the inherent design features that is an advantage for some of those things, at least in the summer, in the classic Australian house with the veranda around the outside, is that you do avoid getting sun in in the middle of the summer on a hot day. But that probably also limits the amount of sun you get in the winter, right? You hit it on the head, yes. It's one of the problems with these houses is they tend to be very dark. So from a livability thing, you want to try and bring in more light. And particularly in winter, when it, it's it's just, uh, even on sunny days, it feels quite dark in, inside. The home itself is heritage listed by the council, so we actually had very limited structural things that we could change on the house, basically nothing. <laughs> we even had to get special permissions and put uh, solar panels on, on the roof, which is not normally allowed. And we were able to sneak a solar tube into our main kitchen living room, which is just made the most incredible difference. I was very suspicious and a bit cynical of how these things work. The salesman does a does a good pitch, but it has opened up that end of the, the room uh, like I wouldn't believe. And for people who aren't familiar with solar tubes, there's something that collects a lot of light and directs it into the house, right? Can you explain it a little bit? Yeah, they're really just a little hole in the roof with a, a dome over them with a very, very clean, shiny tube coming down to your ceiling in the room. And it dissipates the light over a big area in the room. So it, it looks almost like a, a bright light, but it doesn't feel like a light. From my understanding, they can collect a lot more light than the size that they are, right? It's not like having a skylight. It's having something that can collect multiple times the amount of light and kind of channel it all on, down into the house. Absolutely correct. Yeah. So you said with the heritage listing, there were things that you couldn't do. Can you talk about some of the limitations that you ran into and things that you would have wanted to do or that a, a regular house renovation might have wanted to do that you couldn't and how you might have gotten around those? We couldn't build extensions. And because it's a timber frame house with a weatherboard exterior, we were not allowed to change the materials on the outside. And we were quite limited in some areas even just putting the insulation in because there was some old but, but very safe asbestos in some parts of the walls so you couldn't reconfigure the house in any meaningful way and you couldn't change the roof line um, and couldn't add any outbuildings or anything like that which might be part of a solution if you were starting with a normal suburban house you said that it's more comfortable in the winter it's more comfortable in the summer but can you talk a little bit about maybe the convenience aspects of it. I'm sure that having an old drafty house with no insulation compared to a house that is beautiful and old looking, but much more high performing means that just living in it is easier. Is that true? It's really, really nice to live in. Firstly, we're lucky that we have very high ceilings, which were absolutely standard in that period. So immediately that gives it a sense of space. And I would say 
graciousness. I mean, I guess that's an aesthetic quality. And I always say that what we've done is is a, a restoration rather than a renovation because we've kept lots of the old, well, all of the old features and the style of the house. But it was kind of frontier living before. You really wrapped up in your thermals and wore a beanie inside and um, just prayed for the end of hot days inside. And we really don't get that at all now. And it's very flexible space. Everybody wants to be able to live indoors and outdoors. So we're lucky that we have a wraparound veranda. So living outdoors is lovely. We've put extra shade on the west side of the veranda. So the sun actually never hits the walls in the summer, which again, keeps things cool. Yeah, we love living there. So if someone wanted to do this with their own house, forgetting the fact that it's heritage listed, because many people like the design of their house, they like the look of their house, they don't want to change it that much, they want to make it easier to live in. So what were the upgrades that you can think of that are kind of those small ones that made a big difference? I know you talked about putting insulation in the walls, but are there other things that come up that maybe someone who wants to do something similar should focus on as first few steps? Well, you mentioned earlier on that just trying to seal the house a bit more is is makes a huge difference. So literally just having draft stoppers under the doors, you know, sausages or whatever you, you call them, putting that little lining around your windows or around fly screens, closing up all of those little gaps uh, make really a lot of incremental gains. And again, we've got big lovely old sash windows which leak like a sieve and they look beautiful and we're not allowed to change those double glazing is obscenely expensive and we weren't allowed to on those frames but having heavy drapes and having a thermal lining to your curtains just makes the most incredible difference and that costs you you know a hundred dollars whereas double glazing was going to be about ten thousand dollars a window or something so you can really get around it with those little things. Just fill the gaps, close the doors, close the windows at the right time. Just real simple common sense things. How active do you have to be in managing this house compared to maybe what it used to be? Do you have to open and close windows and, and do shades a lot? Or can you live in it a little bit more normally um, with the changes you've made? I think you just want to be conscious. And everyone's learning that these days. It's not a big effort, but we are... In the summer, we definitely have all the windows open at, at night so that everything can cool down. And then, you know, as it heats up by about mid-morning, we usually close all the windows. I think everyone knows that. Whilst we have got solar panels, we have put in, I've got to confess, we put in ducted heating and air conditioning. There's very high efficiency, but that's essentially free during the day. And we've got that in zones through the house. So... I'm not pretending that we just live on, uh, you know, purely and greenly without anything. That absolutely makes a difference, but we rarely use it. We don't just don't have to. So really the only material thing we did was, was put those shades on the edge of the veranda on the west-facing wall. So that's not a whole lot to think about, really. And how long did it all take to transform the house in the small ways that you did to make a big difference? Well, we blitzed the big things very quickly, probably seven weeks to do, you know, insulation, um, that kind of remodeling. Uh, the, the long journey is that I'm still painting the house three years in, and I've always said it'll be a two-year job 
and two and a half years later, I'm still saying it's a two-year job. So I think it's going to be like the Harbour Bridge. When I get to the end, I'll start again. Are there things that you could have done that you would have been allowed to do but decided not to do to preserve certain aspects of the house? Oh, that's a good question. Um, Probably not really. Uh, It's such a lovely, pure shape. We, when we took it on, it was a pretty sorry place. It was full of mould. Like, we've rewired and replumbed everything. I mean, that doesn't help the insulation. But we had to do quite a lot of work. And what it is now is a really charming place to live. Like, everyone stops and photographs it when they walk around the village because it's so different from everything else here. And it's got character and, I, you know, what we couldn't do in insulation, what we couldn't do in technology, we decided that one of the challenges we set ourselves was that everything inside the house uh, that we could possibly get was going to be secondhand. So all of our furniture, most of the fittings, yes, the lights are new, some of the switches are new, but even down to showers, baths, those were all sort of secondhand by my genius wife who spent about a year getting a PhD in Gumtree and Facebook Marketplace, finding things for rooms that actually didn't even exist at that point. Um, so that was just another way of using a bit of nows to save time, save money. There's no packaging on any of that. We wanted to make an effort because we are in an eco-village and we couldn't do U-Butte construction stuff. Um, so those other little gestures make a huge difference to your carbon footprint as well. Well, and if you're sourcing all secondhand items, then none of it's been manufactured for you. You're effectively getting the carbon footprint of those items for free because someone else has originally paid for them and they didn't want them anymore. Correct. Yep. Uh, I mean, even the, the kitchen, which looks like a heritage bespoke piece of work, was actually the old, pretty cheap 1960s kitchen. We've just com- we've moved it, used all the old carcasses, and we've just dressed the doors and painted them. And everyone says, wow, where'd you get those from? And we say, it's the one that was already here. So you can be just clever if you want. But you have put in a more modern induction stove and everything, right? We do have an induction stove and we have finally managed to put in a heat pump for our hot water, which obviously is a huge incremental gain in energy saving over old electric immersion heaters. So were there big surprises in this process? Were there things that you didn't expect to come out the way they were? Maybe talk about what you envisioned this being to begin with and and how you actually ended up. Well, I think we wanted it to have character and just be nice to live in. You know, being part of the eco-village, there were definitely a lot of things that we couldn't do that were expected and required of everybody else. But we did want to show that you could live comfortably and do not that expensive work on an old building to make it really significantly more energy efficient and more livable. We've kept the old features. It's a delight to live in. We do have uh, a wood fire. There was an old chimney there and it was a really old original fireplace which we've sort of upgraded and repurposed with a high efficiency firebox and things like that. We have to be mindful of only burning really clean wood like seasoned hardwood and we only do it when there's not a temperature inversion in the valley because you, you get the wood the smoke will get stuck in the valley so you just want to be slightly conscious of those things but otherwise it's just like living in in any house lots of space lots of room and people are charmed when they walk in so we love it 
And you have lots of visitors because you run it as a B&B. If people are interested in seeing Bellbird House and experiencing Bellbird House, how do they do that? Uh, well, just contact the village. We we have got a guest room with an ensuite, uh, which we created in what used to be the old dining room. And people seem to love the experience. It's it's very different. It's a sort of heritage B&B, I guess you'd call it. We've got beautiful gardens that people can wander around. So yeah, a bit different in the village. And it is a beautiful house. Before we go, what's the story with Bellbird, the name? Well, the whole village, but especially... Our end of the village nestles right next to Strickland State Forest. And for much of the year, you can hear the beautiful, pure sound of bellbirds in in the woods. And we love the bellbirds. And there's a little trail through the Strickland Forest called the Bellbird Loop. So we called it Bellbird House. And it is a, a very nice corner of the village. If anyone wants to check it out, I know you have a website that we'll put a link to on the show notes for this podcast. And... Otherwise, check out the Narara Eco Village website to learn more about coming to visit the village and visit Belbert House in particular. Mark, thank you very much for being on. My pleasure, Adam. And thanks to all of you listeners for being here too. To learn more about the conversation you just joined us for, visit our Eco Living Podcast website at ecolivingpodcast.com. If you want to learn about Narara Eco Village and Eco Village Living, visit nararaecovillage.com. That's N A R A R A Eco Village. And finally, if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to our feed to get all of our episodes for free. And feel free to send the link or the audio file to anyone who you think might enjoy it or learn something from it. Hopefully both. We have all of the links you need to subscribe to or share the show on the website. Until next time, I'm Adam Weiss.